0: Episode three hundred and forty-three. I'm your host, Mike Apps. Um, cold, almost gone. A.K. Wheels with me as always.
1: Uh, wondering what the scenario is, David McBurney, Family
2: Master.
0: What's the what's the scenario? What's
2: the what's the what's the scenario? Uh.
1: I'm reading about that uh, that particular song and appreciating that uh, fucking the first verse is sequenced that way because <laughs> uh because, because uh, uh five dog was uh concerned about being uh not getting played in radio airings if his verse was too deep into the track, <laughs> which I mean, it's a it's a banger of a first verse. Uh, I feel like the like there's no there's no no weak verses in scenario, but I feel like it's like the bookends are the two strongest: uh, Five Dogs and Bustas. It's been hip hop opinions from uh, for songs that are nearly as old
0: as I am. <laughs> Speaking of old songs, I found a not a hip hop cover, but a cover in, of a kink song by the by Lesson Jake that I hadn't heard before today.
1: Oh, I'll need this to look that time. up because I've not because I feel like there's definitely ways that that could be quite interesting. Just because, like, I
0: think it's so a yeah, few I'll years to... old. Uh, but oh you know, yeah, I'll I'd sense, imagine I'll send it to you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. But. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, video games yeah. are still occurring. They are um,
0: at a rapid pace already.
1: Yeah, a little terrifying. I've been like, I, I feel bad that I haven't started like a Dragon Infinite Wealth because it looks incredible. And but it's like there's there's so many games. Yeah. Already, this year. And we're not going to get a lot of breaks to begin with, because, like, at the end of this month, like, everything gets its lunch eaten by FF7 Rebirth, at least as far as I'm concerned. Like, nothing else matters. Yeah, I just probably Uh, take
0: that day off.
1: (laughs) Good choice. Um, But uh, beyond that... uh, Oh, thank you. Uh, But beyond that, we end up having... uh, uh, what you call it? Like, we have Dragon's Dogma 2 in March, mm. and, and, like, the, the poorly positioned Rise of the Ronin, Roman, uh, Ronin on the same day. Uh, and then in April, we have Auden Chronicle.
0: Oh, God, that's uh, right. Oh, fuck.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, there's, there's not, good. like, it's, it is an RPG rich year <laughs>
0: in yep. a terrifying way. Uh-huh. Um, Man, there's another and trail course, coming out this summer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, trails, uh, trails into uh, trails into daybreak. I think was what they ended up calling it in English. So. But yeah, like that. That's coming. Uh, we've got a version of Tokyo Xanadu EX Plus that has like a redone translation. That's really important.
0: I forgot uh, about uh, that, even though I just ordered that.
1: Yeah, like I'm, I'm still like. like when they said it was coming to switch i was like oh that's that's nice because that's the version i would want to play but at the same time like you know it's it's always had kind of some issues that were never resolved but then they were like yes and we are also we are also going over the localization again it's like oh good uh then it's it's the definitive version got it uh and of course, uh, we've still got uh, Persona 3 Reload, which I have many opinions on. Yeah, we'll get um,
0: to that. Uh, Fireminer brings up another yeah. one. He says, "Try Blaze Blue Entropy Effect." It's a really good. Yeah, I started looking at that. Is I started
1: it, looking at that. Isn't
0: that a? Uh, um, uh, what can I think of the name of the developer? Inti Creates. Is that by them? Uh, didn't I, did I, it? It I didn't.
1: I didn't look. Uh, I like. I barely kept track of it. Okay, it appears to be made by some a company called Ninety One Act. Okay. At least that's what it says on Steam. Uh, you yeah, have to look at. I'll have to look at that because I haven't heard too much about it. But uh, I, I could see myself being quite interested in that. So thanks for the Rec Fire Miner. Um, let's see. Only well, you could just pay for the first two Cold Steel games to be retranslated. Those games are stuck in licensing hell with XSEED. Yeah, that's that's the real like trouble. It's that like there are Switch versions of Cold Steel One and Two that I think would probably make that you know much more palatable uh, for certain fans, especially if they. Uh, but there's like it's just XSEED owns the translations. They don't seem to have a working relationship with Falcom anymore. Uh, and so there's just, the, those are just trapped. Um,
0: yeah, I guess that's why we're not getting the Oath and Felgana port either.
1: Yeah, I would suspect that that's it, because I know that, like, originally the Oath and Felgana translation was a fan translation, but they bought the rights to it. It is, exceeds property. Um, which is, which is a shame, because that looks like it's a, it's a wonderful version. But, uh,. Hopefully, hopefully, some someday someone uh, pay, pays like some nominal fee to get those uh, to get that to go away, that problem to go away. <laughs> because it's like, oh, yeah. those are wonderful games, and it would be a shame if it was a problem to obtain them in the future. Um, I assume they must be uh, contemplate and like cognizant that they're going to have to make that problem go away soonish. Yeah. because they're talking about wanting to re-release Trails in the Sky and how they, like, that's in large part, like, for the sake of, like, worldwide re-release. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they weren't talking about wanting that to be, like, they want to put that on modern consoles, but they want to do that uh, worldwide. And uh, if if that's something that they're thinking of, they have to be keenly aware of the ownership status of those translations. Uh, and if like if you're gonna get like either if they're like the the wilder choice would be like it, it has to be more expensive to just retranslate them from scratch. It's yeah. so much text. So if they're thinking in those terms, surely they must be thinking of we can get uh, like we pay what is necessary to take ownership of the English scripts. And if you're doing that for Trails in the Sky. Maybe you try to mop up the rights to uh, gold Steel, the rights to ease, uh Just try to get the. Just try to make that problem no longer an ongoing concern. Also, hello, whoever just joined. I did not see. It's
2: uh, Joe. Joey,
3: Joe, Joe, Joe. Hello, Joe.
2: Uh,
3: well, oh I'm yeah. I've been trying to go to bed early, but I'm not tired yet, and I feel like playing some Sonic while I chat with you. So
1: I had the opposite problem. I had to take a nap for an hour after work because my work has been hell. So <laughs> <laughs> such you, is life.
0: Speaking of Sonic, did you see the trailer for the Knuckles TV show? What? Yes,
1: I did. Looks... I can't believe that they're making Sonic three and Knuckles.
0: <laughs> it looks way better than I expected, actually. <laughs> Although I shouldn't be surprised at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, they seem to know how to shepherd that brand at this stage. Oh yeah, I wanted to bring up one other uh, silly bit of Falcom news. Uh, Since uh, it's kind of a a neat relic. Uh, The Egg Console series uh, that has previously brought us uh, Xanadu and some of the other, like, weird old PC-88 games, is bringing us the original PC-88 version of East. What Yeah, you we'll know, be able to play... Egg Console is a... So in Japan, there's long been a retro game, uh, like, subscription service called Project Egg. Okay. Uh, Project Egg... <laughs> Uh, would allow you to uh, play a large library of old Japanese PC games, primarily stuff for things like the PC-88, the MSX, stuff like that, uh, through a subscription service. Recently, over the past few... the past little while, there's been a service on Switch called Egg Console uh, that allows you to a la carte buy... uh, various uh old pc88 games uh for the switch so things like uh as i mentioned xanadu i think Hydlide is uh available at this stage so, some weird old stuff uh but uh in in this case uh what's what's relevant to uh so yeah we've got relics dexter uh Relic, Sexter, uh, Heidlide, uh xanadu uh there's there's a handful of these like weird old stuff uh from a lot of the old japanese uh pc companies, e soft uh, river hill Soft, microcabin falcom game arts uh both tech but basically all of these have uh will be released officially on the English eShop. I don't think many, if any, will have any translation work done with them. They include, like, a essentially a manual translation, where it basically tells you, hey, this is how to play this video game. Uh, but one of the things that's coming is, the, and like I said, the original PC-88 version of E uh, will be available on Switch Via the Egg Console. This is uh, currently listed on Nintendo's website. It will be six dollars and fifty cents. Sure. Yeah. If, if you're interested in the historical, like this is the very original version of E. This is a official way to play it uh, that you can purchase and that will be that will not require you to fuss with the pain of setting up a PC88 emulator. Is it difficult to do that? Uh, it's a pain in the ass. I've never tried it. Okay. I I have. It's it's a pain in the ass. Um, okay. But yeah, so I'll I'll be picking that up because hey, it's uh it is a way to play East One's original version that will not make me want to tear my hair out. So that's exciting. Uh. Yeah. Uh. So what what have we been playing? What have we been, we've been playing?
0: Uh, cool. I, I spent the past week playing a game I can't talk about.
1: Yeah, yeah. You told me to like hit you with a hammer if you started to, if you made reference yes, to what it was.
0: You know what it you know what it is. No one yeah. else does. But yes, I have been playing that. I rolled credits. There's still more to play, but I will be doing that as I write up the review because I it's gonna be my first review since I think Breath of the been Wild. Forever, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think it's like also, well, it. You seemed enthused about it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look forward to that. Yeah, um,
0: this, this is not going to be a uh, uh, Mugen Souls.
1: <laughs> for for one thing, you might even pronounce its name right. But uh, we can worry about that next week. Yes. Or it the week after? I forget when. I forget when you're allowed to talk uh, about
0: it. But. The 23rd, I believe.
1: Okay, so the week after next. Yeah. There but... is a
0: game coming out this month. I won't say any more than that. There are numerous games yeah. coming out this month.
1: Like FF7 Rebirth. I yes. can't believe you're playing FF7 it's Rebirth. Wait, one. no. <laughs> yeah, it's not that one. But, uh...
0: I mean, if I, if I rolled credits on that one that fast, I might be concerned about how much sleep I had gotten this week.
1: Yeah, I would suspect that you hadn't gotten any. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so yeah, a lot of, so you know, good to, good for that. Um,
0: Other than that, I have been, I have played some Persona 3 Reload. Uh, that, yeah, you can see uh, right. that happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have I have a lot. Like <laughs> anyone who has the, has had the displeasure of watching me in Wheels Discord knows that I have an extreme amount of opinions about yes. that game. I, I want to say uh,
0: some nice things about it first, and then we can.
1: I do have nice things to say. Like I'm not <laughs> going to pretend that I don't have nice things to yeah. say.
0: Uh, I just I, I would say before saying anything else about it is it's definitely of the modern trilogy of Persona. If you've listened to the show, you know it's my least favorite of those three, mm. uh, for a lot of reasons. That doesn't mean
1: it's awful.
0: It's like it's, the opposite it's just the
1: least of them. Yes, it's it's just the least
0: of them. Like that, it, it's the one that most had to be carried by its gameplay, which for me it mm. did because if you if you watch, we we'll have finished that, of, that video game. Yes, that, <laughs> and if you watch what I play or are watching what i'm playing right now i enjoy a good dungeon crawler and that game is actually a good dungeon crawler climbing up that tower the battle system obviously is very good because they've been reusing that battle system for yeah it's got it's
1: got all the refinements that they made to the battle system from persona 5 for the most part yeah uh they're they're less well integrated less well justified but that's that's a different story
0: yeah and it was a nice looking game, even on PSP, because I finished the PSP version. Uh, it does it was, have stronger direction. It was fun. The ending made me angry, but other than that, I enjoyed it. I just, you know, I, I didn't enjoy like the social aspects of the series until the following game when I actually cared. And it actually felt like I was uh, playing as a group of teenagers that actually cared about each other mm-hmm. uh, uh, and to... and obviously this is this is another way to play that exact game it's prettier there's some nice updates to the battle system some nice updates to the music
2: the
1: the handful of new tracks are really nice. The evening track uh, that I believe the original didn't have a particularly distinct evening track. If it had one, uh, if it had a distinct one at all, uh, the evening, uh, the outdoors evening track is probably my favorite of the new compositions, and I think stands uh, tall above most of the ambient compositions that exist in the original game. I think
0: my, uh, my favorite so far is the new battle theme for when you surprise. Uh, the one that you get when you
1: surprise the enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was a new a new concept that was introduced in Golden. The idea that uh, if you surprised an enemy, you would get a different battle theme yeah. than if you got in a normal fight. Uh, the normal fight theme in this case is mass destruction. Uh, it's, the, it's a remix of it, but you know, it's it's still fundamentally you hear it, you hear it and it's like yeah baby 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 baby, it's mass destruction um i forget what the new one is called but yeah it's a it's a strong new track uh like i said i think the i think the evening ambient theme edges it out but it's still it's a strong track yeah um, there's they've done some some interesting things with the with the music uh anyone who has played significant amount of amount of p3 uh, we'll note that the uh, lyrics to the dorm room theme, one of the songs that you hear constantly in that game, especially the opening, have actually been redone in a way that's very strange. Uh, like, I would I would describe the changed lyrics as mostly a lateral move. They're not significantly better. They're not significantly worse. They're just different. Uh, but the changed lyrics are also super weird to listen to. Because it's just like, it starts with the same thing where he just says, dance. And in the original, he just says, while I put you in a trance. And, you know, just a very (laughs) simple rhyming couplet. But the new version doesn't do that, and goes off in a different direction with the lyrics. And it's just like, every time I feel like I'm listening to a version beamed from another dimension. Mm -hmm. Uh... It's it's real weird. It's real weird. I don't it, like. That's the only song they did that for as well. Like no other, none of the other remixed songs like completely changed the lyrics. Uh, it's it's gen it's genuinely like just very strange that that's the only one that's been that they've done this to. <laughs> uh, but it's it you know it's it's a good it's a good version. Like the, the music in Persona Three has always straddled this extremely strange line. Where it's like this is catchy, but also by turns kind of embarrassing uh, in terms of just like the the, the very strange, uh, often nothing sort of lyrics that are playing in the background. Uh, Lotus Juice has a solid flow, but you know the what the lyrics are actually saying is uh, kind of empty. Uh, but I think the I think that mostly the remixes are stronger than the originals, so I, I can give it that. Um, but yeah, so I guess I'll just like say say my piece on this bit uh, since it's a logical time to do it. Uh, Anyone who has listened to more than, like, one or two episodes of this podcast knows my position on remakes, that I want them to be disloyal to the source, especially in a case like this, where the original is already extremely available. Uh, You can... You can... Any platform that you can play Reload on, you can play Portable on. Mm -hmm. And... It's kind of the
0: better better option.
1: (laughs) In a lot of ways, it, it is simply because, like, the... The addition of the uh, the the female main character adds a lot of value to the game, and that version, in many ways, is significantly more updated than this. This is, in many cases, kind of just a shot-for-shot remake of the FES version, uh, the last PS2 version. It adds in. Like Characters just take commands by default like uh, any any modern Persona. Uh, Fess, for its part, was the last one where it's like, oh no, the, the party members will just sort of do whatever. Um, and so, you know, that's that's a nice improvement, but that was already incorporated into Portable. Uh, I think that uh, what, what frustrates me the most is that there are a handful of new scenes that do do a lot to flesh out certain dynamics because like the the over time the joke has sort of become that the persona three cast doesn't like each other and Uh, this has almost become treated as one of the game's virtues, that like, oh, they're doing something interesting with the dynamic because the characters don't like each other that much. And the problem is that that can be a really interesting dynamic. I think a set of characters, a party that is bound by a goal, but who do not actually like each other can be fascinating because it gives them a lot of interesting (sighs) dynamics about how they navigate the fact that they're working together, but they don't actually like each other that much. The problem is that this characterization of the cast comes not from the fact that they interact in a way that many of them interact in a way that indicates dislike there there is a specific character dynamic that is built around two characters disliking each other and there's two instances of that and one of them is yukari and mitsuru and one of them is uh, ken and shinjiro but both of those resolve pretty rapidly uh, as part of core uh, game, like core parts of the narrative arc, the issue is that uh, if we if we hold that the Persona three cast doesn't like each other that much, it's entirely because, like, the second years mostly hang out with the second years, the third years mostly hang out with each other, and uh ken hangs out with no one because he's a 10 year old and no one can relate to him but this is not brought up as a function of the text it is simply just because of how the scenes are written we are left to assume that they don't care that much about each other and you can get uh, like that would be interesting if it was a fleshed out dynamic but it's not the game just doesn't flesh out how for example fuka and akihiko would interact we don't know because they basically never say a word to each other um and (coughs) i think that there's there's interesting dynamics that can be done with that but like i said the game doesn't make a case for the notion that the characters don't like each other it's just that over the course of a year you never see them talk to each other so you assume they must not care for each other but this there are a handful of new scenes that do give these characters interactions uh, And I do like them. Like, when you decide to study with other characters for, before the midterms and finals, you get new scenes where everyone interacts with each other, and it's actually really... It's an actually charming dynamic. There's a really fucking stupid scene where uh, you're studying with uh, Mitsuru and Akihiko, and Akihiko is, like trying to hold a squat for the entire study session because like, that's just what he's doing. So he's spending the entire time trying to help you, but also in agonizing pain uh, and doesn't admit what he's been doing until like after the study session is over. And like, that's a fun dynamic. And then like, eventually like, so you will hang out with the, uh, uh the, with, like, last night I was doing the preparation for the second set of exams. I've been just burning through the game because I want to uh, get it done while I only have to pay for a month of Game Pass. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yesterday I was doing the uh, exams before the finals in, like, July. And uh, during that study session, there's a bit where, uh, like... Junpei is pissed off at that point because he's upset that uh, he's routinely getting outshined by the protagonist uh, because the protagonist has the wildcard ability. The protagonist is the uh, leader, the star of the show in terms of combat, everything else like that. So Junpei is uh, pissed off about that. He chooses not to study with the rest of the second years. Uh, So you're studying with Yukari and Fuka and... Fuka is uh, has brought notes from when she was absent that were provided by the friend she made that bullied her, uh, a character who's just profoundly underutilized. And you get a new scene where it's like, you know, notes from her are going to be a, a problem because like she's not. A great student so there's a bunch of stuff missing so your, your characters are like well we'll turn the study session into filling out the rest of her notes so that mm-hmm. she'll have an easier time when she gets them back uh and it, it's a cute dynamic and then like you get like an entire like the entire party studies together the following night where uh the protagonists uh where like uh you've also got like the uh Shuji Ikutsuki, the kind of, like, adult figurehead uh, that none of the other games felt like they needed to bother with. Uh, But Ikutsuki uh, hanging out there, and he's distracting people from studying because he keeps making shitty dad jokes. Uh, And Genpei ends up feeling, like, competitive that he needs to make a shittier joke. Uh, It's it's fun. Like, there's, there's additional... Like, the thing that makes it frustrating as a remake is that... The new scenes <laughs> make it clear that the writers know how to fix the dynamic and to <laughs> broaden that. But there's only a handful of them. There just isn't that much. Uh, yeah. Or you get like you get a handful of new scenes with uh, if you choose to hang out with characters uh, at night because like there's a lot more evening activities because the way they've tried to sort of restructure the game to encourage the way that people actually play these games. In Persona 4 and 5, they made it so that going to the dungeon is a daytime activity. And in that sense, that was them acquiescing to the notion that Tartarus was designed to essentially be something you do, you could do a little bit of each night, and no one plays it that way. Uh, like, I've, I've never seen someone that does, just does a little Tartarus each night. It's designed to be done uh, and so they've, over time, acquiesced to that. Like the original game, very specifically <coughs> attempted to push you away from doing a ton of Tartarus all at once. Uh, there was a, um, th- there was a t- like a system where characters would grow tired over uh, if you spent enough time in Tartarus, and it reached a point where once they're tired, if you regroup back to the first floor to heal the characters will just leave. Like there's there's all sorts of incentives to try to keep you from doing too much Tartarus at once. Over time, that system got tossed out because like no one wanted to play it that way. Like that was just not how people played the game. Uh, and so in this one, they've gone to the trouble of trying to make sure that like uh, they, they've incentivized playing it the way people actually play these games where it's like, just do as much Tartarus as you can at once. Just get it all done. Uh, so you have the Arcana Burst system, which basically says that every so often, uh, when you get to shuffle time, you'll see not the regular, uh, minor Arcana, but you'll see major Arcana cards that, uh, give you, uh, permanent boosts, uh, for the rest of the night. So like if you get the full major Arcana card, you get bonus EXP on every fight for the rest of the night. Um, if you get the High Priestess Major Arcana uh, card, every all-out attack for the rest of the night is stronger. Like you get you get really nice bonuses that you that you actually want. Uh, and if you get enough Major Arcana cards, it actually boosts the power of the Minor Arcana cards for the rest of the night. So there's all sorts of like incentives to just do as, much as you can to stay in Tartarus as long as you can uh so they've they've redone that which means that the incentive structure Around what to do in the evening has changed. There's a lot more evening activities where you can just like, oh, you can watch DVDs with your party members, or you can read books with your party members, and you'll get new scenes that only show up for these. And those are those are those are pretty fun. There's some you can get some fun times like, oh, the the what happens when this person tries to cook? What kinds of books do they like to read? What kinds of DVDs do they like to read uh, to watch? That sort of thing. So like, if you're hanging out with Akihiko in the evening, he's watching. Uh, DVDs of old boxing matches that he particularly loves if you're uh reading books with Mitsuru, she's, uh reading like uh fucking history books together it's 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 fun it, it gives them a bit more time to shine like they the the writing in general for the new scenes is really strong arguably i would say stronger than the original material so it makes you wish that they had been able to retouch the original material to showcase the improved writing that the series has had over the years. And there are a handful of scenes where they have been allowed to make significant changes, most notably like some of the scenes that are just sort of patently offensive have had rewrites done to them. But in general, and especially you'll notice this with the social links, a lot of them haven't changed. Uh to to the point where you run into some like real like reminders of why you know you might have had trouble caring about a lot of the social aspects in 3 because the the way those games are the the way they're written is just kind of signals to you that you shouldn't care that much um there's a lot of social links where a level will just be A conversation with a single choice there's one right choice that choice will always be to reaffirm to the person that exactly what they're already thinking is correct uh it's just uh and a lot of the conflicts are just generally not that interesting the emperor arcana is mostly a guy just ranting like running around being an asshole trying to figure out why there was a cigarette butt outside of the outside of the boys bathroom and that is a pretty thin conflict to stretch over, like, ten scenes. Oh, jeez. Uh, the, uh, the, the complaint that was commonly leveled at Persona 4 that a lot of the S-links are someone uh, has, like, a goal that they want to achieve or something that they care about, and then at the end they just accept the status quo as it is. Uh, is, is very common in 3 as well. Uh, I just did the Hierophant Arcana last night, and that's about an elderly couple whose son died like some years ago in a car crash, and there was a tree planted in his honor at your high school. And it turns out that the school intends to uh, chop it down to replace it with a building. Uh, They spend a while fretting over, like that'll be the last legacy of their son gone uh you get to the end of the S yes link and it's them saying well it's okay for the tree to be cut down even though like there's a bunch of stuff about uh a petition to keep the tree from being cut down because it's okay to for the tree to be cut down so that the students can have a new school building and it's just one of those things where it's like yeah it's just that was just a shaggy dog story <coughs> went nowhere uh like there there there's potential in the notion of writing a story that's like about people accepting uh, change but the this the elderly couple is too under underwritten to really uh, give you that full uh, to, to really make that sell that and make it satisfying and that's that's kind of just a, an ongoing problem with a lot of the p3 links is just that they're kind of underwritten. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'm just, just checking the, uh, chat. Do we ever see a trans protagonist in video games? I mean, there are plenty of them, it's just mostly in indie games. If you mean in AAA games, eh, probably eventually, but it's gonna be a bit. Is, um,
3: uh, Celeste transgender
0: or lesbian? The
1: Celeste's, uh, Celeste's protagonist is, uh, is canonically trans.
0: Okay. Well, so there you go, Farmer.
1: But yeah, I would imagine Fireminer meant in a major, in like a A game, but yeah. nice.
0: We'll get there, yeah. Fireminer.
1: So what's more important to the remakes? The OG game is emotionally important to the developers, or the developers have a lot of money. And why only <laughs> 7 Remake has both? Uh, I think that, uh... Like the... Uh, yeah, in Funny Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the Funimation thing, because that's just... Uh, what happened
3: at uh, What happened in Funimation?
1: Oh, the the last vestiges of their digital platform have been obliterated, and uh, Crunchyroll announced that they were not going to bother uh, allowing you to transfer your digital purchases. Oh. Uh, huh? And in the same press release, and in the same press release, announced that they would be uh, doubling the price next year for Crunchyroll's premium subscription service. Uh, like like real real horseshit. Um, but yeah. Oh, uh, oh it, fuck. But yeah, um, to to we'll get into the remake question in a minute. But to, just to finish out thoughts on that, it it is it is just kind of frustrating because I I think that there was passion within this team and an understanding of what they could update, but there was no there was no impetus. Uh, from higher up to let them make creative decisions on this, and it's a little frustrating to play a game that has uh, every ingredient it needs to uh, produce a game that understands and reacts to the original, but has been due, I would suspect, to uh, budgetary and deadline concerns been left as a game that is simply an attempt to recreate the original. And you do run into some things that are like, it, it's a weird game to play uh, when it has been updated in this fashion, because Persona 3, in its original form, was designed around extreme limitation. Uh, SMT spin-offs at the time were pretty low budget, um, Persona 3's entire structure is built to accommodate that low budget. It has a very small number of uh, new... Uh, of, like, environmental assets. It has a very... Uh, like, it doesn't have designed dungeons. It has proc gen. Uh, I, I will mention for, for Tartarus haters such as myself, uh, this Proc Gen feels very similar, and I think it has fewer tile depth.
0: That's what it feels
1: um, like. Because I am on, like, floor 70, and I am still in the second set. Nothing has changed. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in general, uh, like, Persona 3 is a game built around limitations and built to make the best use of a small budget and it is weird to play a game that has a much higher budget that took much longer to create and which uh, has not been allowed to reconsider any of these decisions. So <coughs> I, I mentioned this on the uh, on Shenanigans. I don't know, you, you know, obviously more people are probably going to listen to this than we were able to watch that live, but basically uh pers- GeckoCon in Persona 3 is supposed to be a moderately sized high school. Certainly larger and more populous than Inaba in Persona 4. But it feels smaller (laughs) because it consists of three hallways. Uh, And uh, it's, it's weird that that was not reconsidered. It feels like they should have Made like, you know, expanded it a little to at least feel in line with what the game considers to be the case. The design of the uh, environments is designed to be seen from the game's original camera angle. This largely top-down thing. Uh, so when you uh change the camera to be behind the back, the extremely readable uh, hallway and box design that Persona 3 uses gets harder to read because it's now kind of claustrophobic. Uh, the cutscenes were designed around like the fact that characters just don't animate that much. They're very simple models. They don't have a lot of points of articulation. So they don't do a lot of animating, but we've now got these high-quality models that can uh, do a lot of animation. But the cutscenes haven't been significantly redirected. They still kind of do the same canned animations they always did, and it it contrasts hard against something like Persona Five, where no one moves the same way in Persona Five as anyone else. Everyone has a distinctive way of moving around. Uh, like that's why you can get characters like Futaba who doesn't sit like a normal person, <laughs> uh, to put to put it one way, or like uh, Yusuke moves differently than uh, Ryuji, who moves differently than the protagonist, who moves differently than On, who moves differently than Makoto, who moves differently than Har- Haru. You get this sense of like the the characters can be better characterized in the later in, in Persona Five by virtue of how they animate and. There wasn't seemingly time or budget to reconsider, like how do these characters move? How are they different from each other? Uh, uh, let's see. But yeah, so like I don't think it's bad. Uh, I would thoroughly advise that if the like there's people have data mined it and found DLC hooks for the answer. I would thoroughly advise anyone to be very careful about purchasing that DLC if it is made available. Uh, Because if it has been remade to the spec of this version, then it is a profound waste of your money. Uh, Like I think that Persona 3 is extremely flawed and that this remake missed opportunities to try to to improve on some of its its core issues, but I think that the answer is genuinely terrible content and not worth your money. Uh, so unless there have been significant reworks in it from a, on a foundational level, I would advise you not to spend your money on that. Uh, but let's see. Okay. Uh, with with that said. Uh, I want to hit a couple of questions, Uh, Fireminers, left in the chat before we move into what Joe's been playing. Uh, What's more important to remakes, the original game being emotionally important to the developers, or the developers have a lot of money, and why only F 7 Remake has both? Uh, I mean, in terms of RPGs, 7 Remake is the gold standard of the developers care a lot about it, and... Uh, they have a lot of money at their disposal. It's not the only uh, games where that's the case. The Resident Evil remakes are also high watermarks for the yeah. new developers care a lot about these games and have a great deal of budget available to them. Uh, Trails of Mana yeah. didn't
0: have as much budget, but that one definitely, I think, mm-hmm. could also... There, there was that. a vision behind it. Yeah. I
1: think that... yeah. And it it partly depends upon uh, (laughs) vision, get it? Because like vision, I'm on it. Never mind. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like I I think that vision behind it is ultimately going to be a strong uh, point, but like, you know, it's it's really hard to execute on vision if you just aren't given the money to do it. Uh, So like, I'm not going to hold what I feel are undercooked aspects of persona 3 reload against the developers uh, they seem to be a subset of the subs of a subset of the persona team given that there's definitely a persona 6 in development and metaphor refantasia ate uh, a bunch of the persona team as well uh, so between those two things like this is definitely a uh, a team that is likely much more staff limited than either of those projects uh definitely <coughs> a team that is much more budget limited than either of those projects i don't hold it against them that this game became what it is but i do think that like the the higher-ups at atlas and sega like this. This is certainly making money for them. This has made. This has already sold a million copies. I cannot imagine spending seventy dollars on this product. Uh, like, I. I genuinely think that that is a poor choice. Uh, like, it, it's. It's a game that if I was paying more than the ten dollars on Game Pass, I would probably be significantly meaner to it. Uh, simply because it. It just doesn't do very much that the prior versions didn't already do. Uh, and yeah, as, as Last time on Earth just pointed out, by all accounts, P3 Reload is basically a testing ground for less experienced devs in Atlas. Yeah, and that's also probably another reason that they were not given much uh, creative leeway with this, because you know, you're basically putting them to the task of, hey, you're new here. Make this thing we already made, and that's a shame. I think that's a, I think that's a genuine shame, uh, because I th- it's clear to me from the product that the team that made it is talented enough to make genuine improvements to the original, and I wish that they had been afforded that opportunity. Um, but uh, to look at it here, uh, let's see uh let's see but yeah i i think that it's it's rare to uh I, I think that one of the reasons that we sometimes see these less ambitious remakes is because they are given to less trusted teams uh with less internal pull to be able to just make what they want uh and so you end up with these things where it's like just just make it just basically you get a remake where someone's highest command was don't fuck this up uh, and you get and this is the product that comes from a design directive of don't fuck it up um, uh, but yeah um, let's see. Uh, for this next question, how many people are passionate about eight, FF 8, 9, and 10 anyway, if there's a remake of it? A lot. Y'all know what happen- just, uh, happens to 8, 9 is made for people whose hearts had already been filled by 4, 5, and 6, and 10 is just a downer. 7 really came in a golden period of time. I don't think 10, like, the thing is that 10 has a fandom the, uh, a mile long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Like, that that was a like not not to diminish uh, any of the games since, but uh, 10 is the last one that at least to me felt like a huge uh, like genre defining game. Uh, like I love 15 obviously, and I have fondness in my heart for 13, but like... When Ten came out, every RPG on the PS2 kind of pivoted to reflect it, and that's not the case anymore with with Final Fantasy games. And Ten sold extremely well, uh, like near, like uh, nearly, at the very least, nearly as well as Seven. Like it was a huge, huge, huge game. Uh, if there, I would not be surprised to see a Ten remake in the slightest. Uh, And I think that there is an extreme amount of passion around those games. Like, the people who worked on them clearly (coughs) still have passion for them. Often seemingly extremely misplaced passion, if FF10 2.5 is to be be believed. Uh, I love FF10, and I don't think it needs a remake. I don't think it needs a remake. I think there could be interesting things done with it if it's approached the same way at 7, where they decide to make something that is reflective of the fact that the game was now uh 23 years old uh i don't particularly think it needs a remake if in in the scheme of things i don't think any of these games per se needs a remake a remake is necessary only when it justifies itself uh the, the the work must stand on its own uh but i think that like i i have extremely, extremely mixed feelings about FF10. Uh, I, I find it in many ways, of, uh, like, the, it's a game that if I think too much about it, uh, I, I tend to get frustrated with it. But I think that it's an interesting game, and I think that it would be unfair to say that it isn't extremely important within that franchise's history, and still a game that is looked on very, very fondly. Uh,
0: yeah, I think, and like, I think people yeah. often underestimate, like, how popular Final Fantasy actually is and has been since 7. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like, like all, even, like, all those an, games were big.
1: A, a quote-unquote unpopular Final Fantasy is still, you know, going to have profound, like, there's a reason that all of them get debated to this day. Like, a lot of games will come out and people won't have, uh, like, people will really like them. But they won't keep talking about them. (laughs) But there are still, like, the the fandom around any given Final Fantasy is still extraordinarily passionate in a way that allows them to stick in consciousness in a way that a lot of games don't. Even games that people consensus like better. Uh, I think to some extent, the fact that so many of them are so divisive is actually a key component to why they stick in consciousness people's minds so much because you can't get you can't pin down like everyone likes this or no one likes this because like you know you'll get ones that are particularly divisive like eight that you know huge swaths of people just do not like but the the fans of it are ardent and passionate and uh are ready to fight for its honor and that keeps it in the conversation in a way that, like a divisive entry in a lot of other franchises, don't. Uh, and so, I, I think that, uh, that there is passion, there is fandom, but it's it's probably not as monetarily, it's probably not as monetizable <laughs> as the passion that uh, surrounds something like Seven. Uh,
0: and Final Fantasy Two is really good, actually. Thank you for attending my talk.
1: Agreed. Uh, two Two is fantastic. Two is, in many ways, a much more direct chart for the course of what Final Fantasy would be than one or three. Uh but uh yeah, it's it's. Uh, so, so you'll uh, to to look at it another way. Uh, other than there, there's very few people on Earth that are going to argue against the quality of Final Fantasy VI. Uh, eternally a fan favorite, uh, a I would argue a near unmonetizable phantom. <laughs> uh, passionate, but I, there's I've never seen any indication that re-releases of six. So, any better than re releases of 5 or 4. Uh, and a, a remake of to 6.
0: I this up, but you're wrong. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I bring up only once again a uh, apocryphal claim that someone brought up their fandom for FF6 to Hironobu Sakaguchi uh, as an English speaker. And he basically responded with, "Where were you people when the game was new?" <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Uh. <coughs> but yeah, uh, I'd have to I'd have to look up whether that's accurate. It's one that I've seen sourced at least once, but I never checked the veracity of source. I just think it's really tragically funny. Um, but w- w- what I would say about it mostly is just that. Uh there, there was a dust up a few weeks ago because uh Kitase one of that game's co-directors sort of talked about the like notion of remaking that in the same way as FF7 remake which is to say like a huge uh tip to tail reimagining and brought up that that would take uh, in his estimate About twice as long as trying to remake FF7. Uh, And I can kind of see why, because uh, if you're doing that, you're doing a ton of games. Uh, You're doing. Like. FF7 Remake has been very careful to try to avoid having to do the engineering work of having to do, having to make every character at once. They were very careful of like, just doing Cloud and Tifa and Barret and Aerith. And we did most of the work on Red Thirteen, but not all of it. You you can't play as him, but people hacking into it found that he has like a bunch of work done on him, but he doesn't have like a unique battle gimmick the way the others do, because you don't play as him. But they were careful to, like, that's the engineering work we've decided to take on with this first game. With Rebirth, by all indications, they've added in, you know, the, the full work done on Ketchi, uh, the full work done on Red 13. Uh, with Intergrade, they were able to do the full work for Yuffie. But by all accounts, you won't be able to just use Vincent or Sid the way that you would. In uh, regular FF, in uh, the, the way you can use all the other characters. Because every new character represents a ton of engineering work. And I want you to think about how many party members are in FF6. Uh, there's tons of set pieces that, when reimagined to that spec, would be uh, impossible. Uh, not, not literally impossible but they would be extreme amounts of bespoke work uh, you would need to add tons of new scenes to sort of flesh out certain things that aren't that important uh, that, that like can be abstracted in a top down 16 bit RPG There's it, it would be an indescribable amount of work to, to remake this video game And that's that's the issue you run into with uh, a lot of these remakes, is the game is popular because there are very few Final Fantasy games that aren't popular. But it's not popular enough to sustain the amount of work of, like, full AAA remake. And when... Like, when someone like Kitase is talking about a remake, they seem to be talking about true remakes. Remakes that are considered of what the original product was. Uh, and, the the like, otherwise they seem to sort of view these as, you know, remasters of some fashion. Uh, which is why you got things like Everfate Remastered. Uh, There have been allegations of an FF9 remake, there have been allegations of an FF10 remake. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, That FF9 remake is definitely closer to a higher spec version of what FF8 Remastered was than it is (coughs) FF7 remake. Uh, I would suspect that FF10 remake might be a little more ambitious, but that's because FF10 is popular. Like popular within series, popular as opposed to just popular because of Final Fantasy is popular. Um, but that would just be my guess, especially because there's always a part of. There, there's always this uh, threat kicking around in uh, within Square of like, we still want to do more with F of 10 as a world. And again, if that's going to look like F of 10 2.5, I really hope you don't. But it's clear that there's still passion within the company to do more with that world. Uh, so yeah, uh, man, video games are hard uh, <laughs> to be. Have uh, I asked the question about why remakes are always longer and much more extended than the original? Is it something coming from yeah. people who are really passionate about the original games, or is it the case of publishers knowing that they can't just let the golden cow pass away from their greasy ping- fingers a second time? I think it's just that, like, when you come back to something with years of hindsight, there's things that you're like, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done Or like, if, if you're not the original production, I wish they'd done that. Like, someone deep within the project looks at it. And like, obviously, the publisher approves doing more because it's like, well, this is a remake of something that people like. People will want more of it. But internally, it's there's meat on this bone. There's there's something we hear that we didn't fully explore. And it's something that we can do to justify the original. So with FF7, they looked at it and, like... Midgar was such a compelling setting. There was so much of interest in it. It had It was so distinct both from any other, like, setting within the series and from any other setting within the game's own world. So when they approached 7 Remake, their thought process was, we can do more with Midgar. And it turned out they were right. There was a lot of interesting things. Like, one of the most underexplored dynamics that 7 Remake sheds light on is the new section on the plate when you're stealing explosives with uh, the avalanche crew. Because it's it's the one time that you get to see like what does what does it what does midgar look like for the people it benefits not not necessarily the people at the top but the people for whom it treats them as non expendable or at least less obviously expendable you get to see what a suburb looks like in midgar and you get to see that even the people that you would assume weren't expendable are 100% expendable because you get to see the the horrible fate of Jesse's father, um, in putting these two, in adding these, they add a lot of interesting context to what does the world of FF Seven look like for the people that tacitly benefit from its class structure, and that was a completely unexplored aspect of the original. And I think that it's natural for the original team or a new team to come back and say, yeah, there's something that this is something that we didn't go into. Maybe we had had plans to. Like sometimes you'll see that with remakes. Like you'll get a remake where they expand on something that was cut from the original. But maybe it's just something that over the course of years, Someone, whether it be the original creators or fans, have looked at and said, "This is underexplored," uh, and I think that that's you know, I think that's natural. I think that's creatively healthy. Um, but yeah, there's supposed to be that of nine animated series too. Yeah, I'd have more hope for that if the if the Legend of Mana animated series were better.
0: Is um, a Legend of to manage know serious
1: yeah about a year or so back
0: oh. it's bad
1: it's it's very pretty but it's basically just a cliff notes version of the game hmm.
2: uh yeah um
1: but yeah uh i, I think that there's Man, that's a good opening. Uh, <laughs> we all booted up Persona 5 Royal, so I yeah. was kind of half watching the opening. Uh, for, for those listening. Uh, yeah. So, so those are some of the questions we've had. Uh, Joe, did you want to talk about what you've been streaming? <laughs> or what you've been playing?
3: Sure, why not? Um, well, I was streaming uh, Sonic Origins. There's a story mode that where you play all the games sequentially, as Sonic entails.
1: Finally, um, I can understand the canon.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and they added in some extra, like, cutscenes and stuff. And Yeah, there's some
1: nice did. little animations, I think.
3: So, I mean, up to this point, I already got the Platinum Trophy, and I'd already beaten each game individually, but I went back and did story mode. I was streaming that. So while we've been talking this whole time, I just cleared Sonic 3 and Knuckles with all the emeralds and then watched a really cool ending cutscene I hadn't seen before. That's fun. So I just did that and um so while i was streaming somebody was telling me that in this version if you play as knuckles in sonic 3 and knuckles and you get all the emeralds there's a glitch that will let knuckles play death egg zone and doomsay zone and i'm like all right i'd like to try to do that at some point i guess yeah that'd be fun yeah if, if it's possible or whatever so yeah, so I was streaming that a little bit, and then I'm doing Graphics Tuesdays on my stream, so I played Psychosis, which is called Paranoia, in Japan. Yeah. So I started with the American version and kept dying and eventually made it to stage three. And then I said, let's just try the Japanese version, so for some reason that version, stages two and three are reversed. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you beat a level, the demon, instead of just... Wagging his finger, he flips you off and says, fuck you.
2: <laughs>
3: so, it's like, oh, well, that's nice. Alright. Making demons mad. Um, so, there's that. And, uh... Let's see. Well, the, the thing that I did was I got two new speakers to add to my current setup. So, mm-hmm. I actually get the full Dolby Atmos effect now. I, I have the real okay. 5.1.2 configuration here now so that so these speakers they're uh they're like angled so that it shoots the sound up to the ceiling and and bounces off and that gives you the 3d you know spatial audio effect um and i didn't know that i needed to do that for a long time and i for a long time i thought oh that most sounds just like regular 5.1 it's like well yeah because you didn't do it right
2: (laughs) so so anyway so i got those
3: set up and just obviously, after you actually physically connect everything and then configure the settings in the receiver, then of course you want to test things out. So um, on the Series X, you have to actually open the Dolby Access app, and I already mm-hmm. had the license for it and everything. And then so you got to configure everything through the Xbox, and then it gives you a list of games and movies that actually utilize it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. So I loaded up Resident Evil Two Remake, one of my favorite games ever, and. By the way, I think it's one of the best remakes in existence. 100%. Yeah. And um, so just trying that out, even though I've played through that game like 10 times and gotten a bunch of achievements, and I, I was able to finally clear Leon's scenario on Hardcore, which was a pain in the ass. But anyways, um, so I was just playing around with just a random save file, and it's like, wow, like, when Atmos is working the way it's supposed to, you really hear Mr. X stomping around, like, right Shh. behind you.
1: Yeah, that would be very much enhanced by the uh, directional yeah. audio.
3: And then also you can hear zombies growling from a few rooms away, and when I fire a bullet, I hear the case hit the ground, and it's like, oh, that's neat. You me. can
1: hear where it's hitting the ground. That's really neat.
3: Yeah, so that game, when you're in options, it has the option to do Atmos on or off, and then 3D audio on or off. You could do both, or just one or the other. And so it's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a good implementation of it. And then, like, Forza Horizon 4... Um of mm-hmm. support. There's nothing in the options menu to indicate that, but you can hear the difference. You can hear more ambient sounds like birds chirping and, and engine noises and whatnot. It's like, oh, okay, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so then today I watched Blade Runner in UHD with on because that was considered, you know, and it has it. And it's like, wow, what a difference. Like when you, you hear the rain and stuff when he's just mm-hmm. going around the city. So Yeah, that was pretty interesting. And then it's like, all right, let's see how everything goes on the computer. Let's look up more games that utilize it. And I was playing Rise of the Tomb Raider on PC. It's like, oh, that sounds really cool. And Alan Wake 2 gives no indication that it supports
1: it, but it sounded really neat. Not Um, knowing Remedy, it almost assuredly does.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So then, um, even though Resident Evil 4 Remake is not considered Atmos, I still went in there... And as long as everything's enabled on the PC, it'll turn on 3D audio in the game, and you can hear the difference. It's like, okay, so some games explicitly have an Atmos track that they enable, whereas other games just have spatial audio in general, and you can yeah, use whatever code built into you the want.
2: software.
3: Yes, which is neat. So it's like, all right, So so far, good results there. Now, with the PS5... Sony originally just did their own Tempest 3D audio for their first party and exclusive games. Of course. Um, And initially, you could only run that through TV speakers or headphones, and it didn't sound very good. And personally, I don't think Atmos sounds good through a stereo system or through headphones, especially if you try to do Atmos, like, through Apple Music. It sounds like shit. Um,
1: Yeah. It's crunching down a bunch of tracks into, like, kind of arbitrary stereo separations.
3: Yeah. It does not sound good, no. And Um, And, of course, Apple being proprietary and all, you have to connect a wired headset to your iPhone, and then you have to enable Atmos, and then you have to find songs that are actually Atmos-enabled, and then they sound like shit, and that's how you know it's working. Um, (laughs) And then Apple, of course, encourages you to use their expensive proprietary AirPods and Beats headphones, of course. Um, But now, Sony did something interesting, though, because when they did... Enable Atmos support on the console. The games that already had Tempest 3D audio, those just send that same spatial audio track to the receiver to just be rendered in Atmos instead. And mm-hmm. I was just playing FF Seven Remake, so we were talking about that a lot. Well, well, I actually did get into New Game Plus uh, or Hard Mode, so I thought let's just oh, jump man, in there. And really hard. See... <laughs> right. Let's just jump back in and see what this sounds like, and then I never did the intrograde. You know, Yuffie scenario, i want to do that before going on to the next yeah, one.
1: Yeah, now's a good time.
3: But it's like, I'm I'm playing it, and I'm like, oh, this sounds really good. Like, when you're walking around the slums with Tifa, you hear all these conversations and, and sound effects and ambient noise, and it's like, oh, this sounds really cool. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so then games like Death Stranding, Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon Forbidden West... Sackboy's Big Adventure, Spider-Man games, Ratchet and Clank; those all had Tempest 3D audio, so those automatically already have a spatial audio. Yeah, they have like use. some
1: sort of likely decent conversion software running through the background to, you know, essentially translate Tempest uh, yeah. settings to Atmos.
3: So those games, uh, those are the games that sound good with it, and, and although you may have to just make sure you set your sound option to home theater and not TV or headphones. Um, Mm -hmm. And then those developers still have the opportunity to, like, if they decide they want an explicit Atmos track, like what Capcom did with some of the Resident Evil games, they can do that. They can patch it in themselves, which Mm -hmm. is fine. Um, Now, as for content that's not rendered in spatial audio, that can kind of go either way. Like, the receiver can still do some upscaling, um, but for the most part, that's going to sound very similar to just regular old 5.1 5.1 Surround, which is perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I
1: mean, Surround sounds, it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> it does.
3: And so, like, Disney Plus, like, and Paramount Plus and, and some of the other streaming apps. The streaming they,
2: services, yeah.
3: If they don't do Atmos, then they'll still do Dolby Digital Plus, usually, or Dolby Digital, and that still sounds fine for non-3D content. Um. So, yeah, so I still some more testing to do, but it sounds, it sounds pretty good. Um, the only thing is... I put the speakers on top of the rear speakers because that, that's where I thought they had to go and I had to measure out new wire to go across the room. And it's like, oh, these are supposed to go on top of the front speakers. like. Um, and there's other options for how you want to orient everything. Like if you wanted to mount them up on the wall near the ceiling and have them pointing downwards, you could do that. And, and so on the receiver, there's like four different settings to look at and you got to pick the right one for mm-hmm. your configuration. So now I got to decide if I want to replace my other speakers and move things around or not and i'm still using the same 15 year old yamaha speakers and wires that came with the receiver i bought for the ps3 way back in the day
2: <laughs> and
3: i thought let's let's start by just adding in these two Atmos speakers that i just found out i needed let's wire those up and let's see about rewiring the old speakers see what kind of sound and get from there maybe they'll get rid of some of the occasional crackling and whatnot And Mm. so we're going to see how that goes and then I'll determine if I want to get the other speakers from the Sony core series because they're affordable and they were on sale at Best Buy and I'm sure they'll be on sale again at some point.
1: But Fireminer does ask if you're uh, wired up for 5.1 or 7.1.
3: Well, so here's the thing. My receiver, it turns out it can do 5.1.2 or it can do 7.1. So that's another thing Mm. that's cool is I could always switch to that other Orientation and just use the new speakers as side speakers. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so I like that options. I
3: have. I like that I have those options, but this is currently a, a, a real five point one point two system, in my, mm-hmm. um, you know, receiver is now now has the correct settings to reflect that as well. Because up to this point, I could run things in Atmos, and I'm like, oh, this sounds exactly like surround sound. It's like well, duh.
1: <laughs> that does make sense, doesn't it? Right. Uh, and,
3: so yeah so i i can do either is is the answer to that question i i can always and actually what i can do is on my receiver if i wanted to i could drop it back down to 5.1 and it maybe just won't use those speakers if
1: if for one reason or another the 5.1 track was preferable you could always go back
3: i could change settings anytime i want just just pressing a few Mm -hmm. buttons on the remote and so uh, but i the thing is i can't do i don't believe i can do 7.1.2 or 7.1.4 because on mm. the back of the receiver, there are seven spots for speakers to go, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't, I don't think I could do the full line, like you know, like like there are soundbars that live in the do cube or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do eleven channels or seven point one, point four, or whatever. Um, and then I also find that by setting the speakers to small instead of large it sounds better because then it's actually sounding sending more of the bass through the subwoofer, which is, which is what I want. So,
2: mm.
3: so that's been my adventure yesterday and today, just getting that up and running and just trying out a whole bunch of different games to see what they sound like. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
3: and I mean, but, and, and I, I mentioned that I was playing through tunic again. I got through that again. You might've seen me ranting about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, So I I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't played it. It's a really great game, and you should try to go into it blindly because there is some really cool hidden and secret stuff that you might or might not actually find. Um, But, like, basically, um, there's a point in the game where you get stuck in ghost form and your stats get knocked down to the minimum values. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of the game that you could not access in human form, but now you can, and it's an ordeal let me tell you and there's this, there's a very difficult combat encounter to get an item you need to traverse the environment right because mm-hmm. when you're in ghost form you're in this alternate version of the map where paths are blocked off so you have to if it kind of funnels you into this area you got to get through this really tough combat encounter you get this item and that's what you need to actually explore the new altered map and you have to go to different points on the map to restore each of your stats. And, of course, you can't... There's no straightforward path. Now there's debris and other crap in the way. And you've got to go around. And and there's, like, tougher enemies guarding these spots. And it's, like, it's the hardest part of the game. And speedrunners will be able to just skip it entirely. So it's almost like it's there just to punish the lesser-skilled players. That That's what kind of annoyed me about it. And... Once, so once you're in ghost form, once you get the item, then you can challenge the final boss anytime you want. But, you know, good luck beating it. And even mm-hmm. when I restored all my stats, this final boss is just absurdly difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so there are two endings. And so one of the endings you get for being really skilled at the combat and the other ending you would get by being very skilled at the puzzles. Like we're talking like if you have like a PhD in freaking you know archaeology and numerology or whatever, you know what I mean? Like or in yeah. linguistics. And so it turns out the instruction manual is not written in gibberish. It's it's actually a translatable kind of phonetic yeah. language. And it's like but and and then like there's this massive puzzle called the golden path, which let me just tell you, I never would have solved on my own. It's 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 absurdly complicated, and and it's one of the puzzles you have to solve to get the good ending. So here's the thing. Let's say you go to this final boss. You're struggling like hell. You finally beat it. You get the bad ending, and then the game tells you, oh, hey, there's something you might want to do. Would you, Do you want to retry, or do you want to just go right into New Game Plus? It's like, well, I want to retry, and then you do the thing, and then you get the good ending. And of course, I had to look up all these ridiculous puzzle solutions online because I couldn't figure half of them out they're too cryptic for me. So you know.
2: <laughs>
3: and then I watch speed runs where they are able to just as soon as the last boss becomes available they go right in and kill it and I'm like you assholes. <laughs> I hate you. So now in options there is a reduced difficulty option that you can turn on and then there's also what's called no fail mode. In no fail mode you are invincible. You will not die. So, mm-hmm. I was like, fine, I'll turn on no-fail mode and beat the boss, because on the Xbox version, I knew how to kind of, you know, get around it. But uh, now on the Steam version, it's like, I want to see both endings, and if, and I did, and I and I'm not ashamed to admit that for that stupid final boss, I turned on no-fail mode. <laughs> and then got the bad ending, which I guess I deserved. So... So yeah, so that was my experience with that. It's like, as much as I love that game, I love 90% of that game, but I think the end is just too hard. <laughs> um, and, and of course, it has a killer soundtrack that you can listen to on all of the streaming services or just buy it outright through Steam or whatever you want. So yeah, big fan of Tunic, even though it made me want to like throw my controller out the window. Um... And you know, and, and that game is a very interesting, you know, kind of Zelda um Dark Souls hybrid kind of game. And you know, it wears its influences on its sleeve, but in a good way. You know, it's it's very well done. Um what else did I want to talk about? Let me see here. Um Yeah, I, I don't really have much else to talk about. Yeah, Uh, I think that about covers
1: it. Yeah, I'm going to briefly drag back to Persona to bring up one other weird choice that was made with Persona 3 Reload. Oh,
2: okay.
1: Because I'm noticing it while thinking about this. So uh, the original translation of Persona 3, I can't speak for the actual original writing, but the original uh, translation... uh, for Persona 3, framed all narration in the second person. You did X. You did Y. Uh, and that worked uh, well for three, uh, in as much as anything could, because the protagonist has essentially no sense of interiority and doesn't seem to have a lot of thoughts uh, that are not player that are not essentially whatever the player happens to be thinking. Uh, there's there's very little consistent personality to dialogue options. Uh, there's a lot more options that will allow you to take very different tacks with how you're responding to people. Uh, in uh, Reload, they've followed Five's lead and reframed every narration as an interior thought of the protagonist. But a lot of the protagonist's thoughts are not like they don't reflect because of the way the narration was framed they don't really reflect feelings and the protagonist still uh doesn't have a very defined set of options and response like persona 4 and 5 uh are much more limited like you are the, the you are making decisions for what the protagonist says, but the protagonist is, has, uh, to some extent, a, f- a defined idea of what kind of person they are. And so uh, the combined effect of this is to produce a protagonist who seems like extremely fucking stupid, <laughs> just like really weirdly gormless in a way that I don't think was the intended effect. Uh, He just sort of comes off like a complete no-thoughts, head-empty weirdo, Uh, which in some ways is an improvement. But it does produce, like, it it is hard to not draw the conclusion of, oh, I'm playing an idiot (laughs) Uh, right around when you're going through the first cut, like, what was originally a cut scene in the original. Your character was listening to music and seemingly uh, completely out of it, not thinking about the fact that he was walking past a bunch of uh, coffins just floating around because it's the dark hour. In this game, you play that. You are walking to the dorm. You can walk over and look at the coffins and the protagonist is just like, huh, wonder what that's about, and walks on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's impossible to not read it as, oh, I, I guess I'm just a complete himbo. It's completely no thoughts head empty. Uh, which, like, I kind of wish they leaned into it. It would be a lot more fun. Most of the dialogue is mostly pretty similar to how it was in the original, where you have a lot of options for uh, whether you're just playing an asshole, or if you're playing, a like, the game encourages you to play a Yes Man because of how the uh, social links are structured. But, like, in general, uh, the... Uh, unexamined implication of the game is that you're playing a kind kind of an idiot. Um, and that feels really weird. Um but yeah, that was just sticking out to me because like uh watching Persona 5 Royals opening again. I love how like the protagonist is just like immediately like, man, what the fuck is with this app that keeps reinstalling itself on my phone? <laughs> Fucking deleted. <laughs> like, just it just immediately like uh like you just you're selecting between choices of like i thought i deleted that and eh, it's creepy and then just immediately delete it again like do not want to be involved in this uh, like i don't know what this is but i don't want to deal with it, <laughs> and, then, I love it. Uh, and then it's like no it turns out that it's the it's it's your this is your call to adventure and you will not be escaping it but uh you know we, we get a bit more uh, we, we get an immediately greater sense of the protagonist of P5. It's like, huh, that's weird. I bet something weird got itself installed on my phone. Like, that's a normal thing to think, as opposed to, huh, I wonder why there's floating coffins everywhere. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, and...
2: Yeah.
3: I, what I was going to say is, um, so my introduction to Persona was I remember going to Best Buy one day. I had the PSP I bought off a friend, and so I bought mm-hmm. a hacked PSP off of a friend of mine, and I could play em- emulate stuff, and, and I could still play some PSP games. But I'm definitely anyways,
1: hoping that you aren't about to say that you are Persona One.
3: I did.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so oh, no. sorry that so, that yeah, game so I was, has kind of a neat story and sucks ass to play.
3: <laughs> so, so so keep in mind, I didn't. I never had a PS2, right? So I, and I had this friend, though. He was really into a lot of JRPGs. and um, but he So we were in Best Buy and he pointed it out to me. He said, Oh, Persona, you should play those games. And it was Persona 1 Portable. It came with a soundtrack though, which was nice.
1: Yeah, it's got a good soundtrack.
3: So I remember playing it for, I, I don't know, I might have played for maybe an hour or two. I, I don't remember how much time I put into it, but I think I ended up selling it or something. I don't remember. But what had mm-hmm. happened was, when I saw videos for I think it was for Persona 4 Golden. So I, I don't remember if I had the Vita yet or not at this point. I might have still just had a PSP. But I remember seeing videos, I think, for Persona 4 Golden. And it's like, that looks really cool. I want to play that. I don't know if I'm going to like it, though. And then it, it just so happens that Persona 3 Portable was on sale on like the PlayStation Store. It's like, oh, well, let me try this one and see what I think. And at that time, so this would have been, I don't know, like... I don't remember how long this would have been 2011 2012 maybe but it was like let me try yeah. this one first and and I liked it and you know and of course that was the portable version and I think I just picked the male protagonist because I didn't know anything about it you know
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I I never beat it but I mean I remember liking it I remember being a little bit bored with Tartarus you know mm-hmm. um but I mean I do remember liking the game and I don't know if I ever beat it so I think what happened was I think I actually got a Vita. And couldn't transfer mm. my save data over.
2: Oh, then, that'll
3: do it. And then ended up just getting Persona 4 Golden and thinking, oh, this is like a 100 times better. I love this fucking game. All right, yeah, who cares? Mm. You, can, so,
0: you can transfer your save over. It's just. It probably
1: was a pain in the ass.
0: Yeah, it's, you have to <laughs> yeah. Just, like, you have to. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, the point is that
1: uh, he couldn't transfer it at the time. Yeah. At,
3: at the time. And then, and I was really only playing three just to see what it was like to decide if I wanted to buy four or not. And mm. and then four just ended up being. I, I actually got the solid gold edition of four, and I don't have any of the okay. things that came with it at the time. Yeah. Anymore. I don't have anything from it. But, um, <laughs> so my thought on this is like, you know, so so just to kind of reiterate what you were saying like is Persona 3 reload really necessary when they literally just ported Persona 3 portable to every console it's like not really and I, I I acknowledge that there are people out there who got exactly what they wanted they wanted Persona 3 with better graphics and updated art and stuff I acknowledge that but to me it's like that game was really there's a missed opportunity here I think it was really in need. <coughs> of some updates. And mm-hmm. whereas like with Persona 4, if they do a remake of Persona 4 and tell me, Oh, it's the exact same game with better graphics. Then in that case, I'd be like, Oh, I'll take it. Like, cause it doesn't Have I really... got
1: news for you based like, on, the re- on the rumors <laughs> floating around.
3: It's like, so does it need a remake? No, but you know, it, it's a good enough game where it's like, of course I'd want to play it again, you know, with, with some slight improvements here and there. Why the hell not?
1: You know? Yeah, I mean, I'll play it. I'll probably grouse about it the same way I do about 3 because I think <laughs> that there's interesting things to be done with it. But, I mean, I'm I, obviously I'm enough of a mark. I'm more interested... They, the rumors currently floating are that the P3 Reload team is basically going to get sent straight off to a P4 remake. Okay. And that we'll probably see that in a few years. That's fairly far off because it hasn't really started work. But the... Uh, some other Splinter team is allegedly making a collection a collection remaster of Persona 2, Innocent Sin, and an Eternal Punishment, uh, which allegedly part of the selling point would be there will finally be a consistent English translation of these two video games, which, for those unaware uh, from the last time that they tried this, uh, Persona 2, Innocent Sin, Uh, So, on the PS1, we didn't get Innocent Sin. We got a translation of Eternal Punishment. It's a pretty decent translation, especially for the time. Then on PSP, they finally translated Persona 2 Innocent Sin and that translation is consistent with how Persona, how uh, Atlas was translating Persona games circa around 2011 when it came out. Uh, Complete uh, you know, excellent little translation does a great job uh, you know, reads great Uh, nothing nothing bad to say about that one Uh, but then Eternal Punishment was such a late PSP game that they never bothered re-translating it Uh, it, it, that version never came stateside, there's a fan translation of it as of like a year or so ago Uh, but like allegedly between difficulties with like the way that the game was programmed and just the fact that the PSP was dead in the water by like 2013 when it would have been coming out, uh, there was just they they just passed on that. So we have a translation uh, a translation from 2011 that was having to be treated as a segue into a translation from 2000. Uh, and the other thing was that. The Persona 2 Eternal Punishment translation for PS1 is designed to try to connect with the PS1 translation of uh, Persona 1 while retconning a bunch of the like attempts to uh, Americanize Persona 1 in really strange ways. Uh, which produced characters with names that I believe officially would have been things like Nate Nanjo, <laughs> uh, very strange. Uh, like for, for those who never saw Revelations Persona on PS1, uh, there was an attempt made to set the game in America in the localized version. And it made the vast majority of the Japanese characters like they had re-edited portraits to make them white,
2: yep.
1: uh, except for one who had a re-edit, re-edited portrait to make him black. Um, and the the whole thing is extraordinarily strange. Uh, and so it's, it's a bad translation of a game that kind of sucks to begin with. Uh, like, there's all sorts of other weird alterations for the... Like, I think that version of Persona 1 has largely passed out of human memory at <laughs> this point. Like, it was infamous for a long time. I think people just have stopped thinking about it. Uh, as as another of the infinite list of problems when Sony released their PS1 classic a number of years ago, like, four or five years ago, uh, one of the yeah. infinite problems was it contained that version of Persona One. Yep. No. Uh, no. There's all sorts of other issues with that version. Uh, it cuts out. Uh, there's a the branch point halfway. Uh, not even halfway. There's a branch point a couple hours into the game that splits, that bifurcates the main quest. You have the main Seaback quest and the Snow Queen quest. Uh, the English version on the PS1 did not have the Snow Queen quest. Uh, so. Like, functionally, a good third of the game was just locked off. Uh, Persona uh, 1 also has, on PS1, this truly unnavigable 3D world map where uh, you would... Uh, it was like a, just a largely untextured gray morass and the game would just tell you go to the hospital and I remember renting this game as a child and having just no idea where anything was yeah. because it's like go to the hospital what's that everything is a giant untextured gray blob <laughs>
2: uh,
1: the PSP version for its part turned it into like 2D art similar to how Persona 2's map is structured in a way that's much much more readable um Oh, bonus points for the for how the PS1 Persona One map sucks. Uh, You have to cross the street at crosswalks. Um, (laughs) Really? Yeah. And so you you jaywalk. What happens? It just won't let you. Like you can only move on a grid. Uh, It would
3: be really funny though if you try to jaywalk and then you just get hit by a car
0: or get arrested or.
1: Just like when I'm playing like a dragon. Yeah, Ah.
3: be awesome.
0: Oh, funny stuff but, uh, happens if you jaywalk in Yokai "Watch
1: What happens?
0: Like, some demon will come and yell at you. And stuff like that.
1: That's cool. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Persona 1 is... Uh, like, if you're ever interested, I would recommend looking up the plot. The plot is actually pretty interesting, but it's wrapped up in... A, a genuinely dreadful dungeon-crawling experience. Mm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that game caused yeah. it, but my memory card got wiped while playing that game. and I put time back into it again. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's not fun. It's not a fun game. Um, mm. uh, the I, I think my personal favorite, like, why the fuck were you like this in it, is that it tries to wait... Exp gains based on what it considers to have been the most uh, to have, who it considers to have made the most contributions to a battle, and in and that means that it severely undervalues support. Of course, and that eventually I found that the easiest way to get my party leveled up was to give the persona that has. Uh, that had Megado or Megido alone or whatever, a strong almighty attack. That some things actually can reflect in that game, but very few things do. I did once accidentally party wipe by like casting Megido alone on like a toilet and it exploded, and it just like reflected it on my entire party, and I just wiped. But uh, to just give the best, uh, to, to give my strongest group attack spell, uh, the persona with that to each character in turn and grind them individually because that was faster than trying to equally level the group. And you need to grind a lot in that game because it's hard. Um, Don't play Persona 1, it's bad. Um,
3: I thought of one more game I wanted to talk about, unless mm -hmm. we're still, we can keep talking about Persona, but um, you were talking about level grinding and it's like, all right, well, you may have seen my rant about Street Fighter 6.
0: Fighter. So
3: I was playing that on Sunday night while we were talking, and I made it to the final boss, and he was seven levels higher than me, and I could not possibly beat him. But when you quit out of that fight, you have to replay the whole tournament leading up to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right now in Street Fighter 6, I'm actually going back and doing side quests and doing some level grinding, and I did unlock a few more styles, and I got... Yeah, I got Marisa's um alternate costume and nice. it's like so you know but that's like wow Capcom like they really expect a decent amount of level grinding towards the end cuz I I'm, I'm level at level 51 I get to the level 58 final boss I cannot possibly beat him and it's like you've got to be kidding me and you're going to love these...
1: the levels of the post game enemies.
3: Really? Okay.
1: So, and by that I mean, uh, do, do you mind if I just spoil the strongest post-game enemy? Sure. There okay. is a guy who has Ryu's style, whose name is Shenlong, and his level is like 95.
3: Oh god. So Beautiful. I'm thinking, I, I think I need to be at like level 60 before I can beat JP. So
2: mm-hmm.
3: slowly grinding that out now, you know. And I'm like, it's a fighting game, I Like. I get that it's, okay, it's World Tour mode and it's an RPG and yeah, you gotta do some side quests and level grinding, but man, I did not expect this World Tour mode to be so damn long. I guess I should be happy about it, but it's be careful what you wish for, right? Because Street Fighter Five has such severely limited story content and they must have listened to the community because this is insane. It's so long. As, a
1: bon- as what I would describe as a bonus mode, since it's not the meat of the game, I think World Tour is really neat. But it's definitely not where their primary concern was, and so you do get, like, some weird balance shifts. Also, uh, speaking of Street Fighter Six, they just dropped a gameplay trailer for Ed.
3: Ed is coming out on the 27th.
1: Yep, and we got to see him in action. He looks like a lot of fun.
2: I gotta and, check that uh, out.
1: Yeah. I always I always was a big fan of, uh, I, I was always an in, very interested in how his gameplay functioned in 5. I always thought that was really interesting that they made a character who had no motion inputs and no charge inputs. Yeah. So it'll be neat to see him in uh, SF6 with his updated moveset and see how that functions, because uh, I think he was a really cool character. Uh, and I hope that he still I hope that he still has that unique input style because it uh, set him apart and was something that I think uh, I think people could uh, get into uh, just as a character who has uh, simplified inputs but not to the same degree that someone in modern mode has simplified inputs
3: Well then there was also F- bulk in five she had- yeah. You could just hold the button down to shoot a projectile. It's like, hey, that reminds me of Mega Man from Marvel versus Capcom. Wow.
1: Yeah, she was kind of like... She was the no-motion version of a charge character, and he was the no-motion version of a regular character.
3: Yeah, okay.
1: That's how I would describe what was going on with those two.
3: Oh, yeah, and, and all the DLC characters do find their way into world tour mode, so I actually learned Aki's style, so I want to just poison the shit out of JP. i <laughs> tell you. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. So also,
1: uh, on the subject of Persona 2, Fireminer asked if in a remaster of Persona 2, if Hitler would still be there, and I mean, uh, I kind of hope that they keep sunglasses Hitler from the PSP version. Uh... But I mean, I suppose we shall see if that version ends up uh, being real. The allegations around it were basically, yeah, that's coming probably shortly before or shortly after Persona 6, uh, whenever that pops out. And the the same rumors said that uh, Metaphor ReFantasia, Persona 3 Reload, and Persona 6 are all, uh, and this P2 collection are all slated for the, uh, to be. on Switch 2, whenever they launch. So. Uh, good news if true. <laughs> oh, you aren't
3: kidding. Ed is
1: insane. He looks like a ton of fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh,
2: but. Yeah. Um, Boxing
3: cycle power is insane. And he can reflect projectiles. <laughs> Holy crap.
1: Hey, what was I looking for? Okay, yeah, I need to. I'm gonna pull up one of the questions from the big list. Uh, the The new big list may last like if what Fireminer said last week is true, may last us until uh, until one or all of us has died. So, uh, because I think I think last time I checked, he said something like 800 questions. It was terrifying. Okay. Um. Uh, But, yeah, which would make it, like, double or triple the size of the current big list that we've had for, like, nearly two years. Uh, So let's pull up some stuff from that. Uh,
2: uh, 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 Uh... What's something that we could hit at this point?
1: Uh. Mm. I thought we can actually answer quickly. Oh, this makes sense. Um, which Persona game does best at depicting the discrepancy between the characters' boring everyday life and their otherworldly adventure? Uh, I would actually argue that uh, most Persona games are of the opinion that the everyday life is as is important and interesting in its own way. Uh, I do think that uh, like Persona 4 draws the starkest contrast in the sense that it is designed to be set in a sleepy town where... Kinda nothing happens, and uh, that's in stark contrast to the fighting for your life uh, within a dungeon full of hell demons uh, that happens in the TV world. I think that those two things uh, that, that draws a sharper contrast than in something like uh, three or five. Uh, but I don't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think that uh, I, I would reject the framing of the question in the sense that uh, I don't think that the game consider those to be boring they're just less uh, they they're just less uh, heart pounding <laughs> but uh, let's see. Sorry, I'm just uh, making sure that the um, making sure that I've got the finished questions highlighted. Uh, Yeah, uh, I I think that uh, Persona Four is the one that. Uses the contrast the most simply by virtue of the emphasis is on the notion of Inaba being sleepy and kind of dull. Um, one uh, whatever, I'll have to uh, uh, set highlights on this later. But, uh, yeah um i always want to see a persona that is entirely a student's daydream but wouldn't that go against the theme of persona and that young people can really do something impactful to theirs and other people's lives i think you i think uh a 100 hour game uh where everything existed in the minds of mind of a single person would probably be uh coldly received mm. uh, I think there's maybe some interest in the idea, but I think that also, uh, it I wouldn't say that it like for the the modern trilogy of Persona games, quote unquote modern. Again, one of those games is turning 18 <coughs> this year, uh, but the the modern quote unquote Persona games uh, are about definitely about making an impact and about. Uh, the impacts of both, uh, you know, drastic action, but also the impacts of small and the mundane. Uh, and so I think it would be thematically difficult to produce a game that, uh, that lacked that impact, uh, and and just generally produce uh kind of like I think that even if this was an unrelated property, you'd be looking at kind of a hard sell. Um just by virtue of the fact that like a lot of people are gonna check out the second that a game is like all dream.
2: Uh let's see. Yeah.
1: And one more since we were just talking about Street Fighter. Uh, Street Fighters and Space Quest have one thing in common. The characters in the narrative both became more silly, not being outright parodies of their original selves as more sequels were made. Other, what are other franchises that suffer from this? I wouldn't call that suffering. I think that those were made more interesting by becoming parodic. But uh, do you think of it is a sign of the developers running out of interesting things to tell you? And so they rely on stereotypes and exaggeration to get a cheap laugh. I'm excluding cases that they deliberately want to make a parody, like Stranger Paradise. I think Stranger Paradise is a little more complicated than wanting to make a parody, but it is definitely using the broadness of its character archetypes to do something. Um, I I would actually argue that Street Fighter kind of does the opposite of this, because if you look at any given Street Fighter character, when they are created, they are just a raw and unvarnished stereotype. And then eventually, as games go on, the developers realize that that is not super interesting, and if they're going to keep bringing them back, they have to give them other things than just being a stereotype, and they become more interesting over time. Uh, so Yeah,
3: so, you... um, Balrog was originally just a spoof on Mike Tyson, and mm-hmm. we know Faye Long is um... It's just Bruce Lee. Yeah, it's just Bruce Lee, exactly. It's just Bruce Lee, yeah. Um, but, like, Balrog has, you know, he evolved into something. Like, in Street Fighter V, he really had more of a personality, although it was a deplorable personality. He's still a villain, but it was like, okay, he's not just, you know, making fun of a boxer anymore.
1: Yeah, the way I would describe Balrog is that over time, they came to this, like, hierarchy of how evil the people in shadowloo were. Right. So you had... Uh, you had fucking uh, Sagat, who they decided wasn't evil at all. He was just kind of pissed off after Street Fighter One, uh, to the point where they retconned it so hard that by the time of Street Fighter Two, he is no longer a villain. Right. Um. Then one step up from him, you have Balrog, who's an unpleasant person, but is mostly just in it for the money. Yeah. Uh, then a step up from that, you have. Uh, Vega, who has some degree of philosophical commitment, but is also like uh, his, his motivations are almost completely alien to a normal human's. Uh, and then a step up from that, you have Bison, who's like uh, fully committed to uh, evil and world domination. Yeah. Um, but you you end up with Balrog. It's just like, oh yeah, you're just like you're not evil per se, you're just kind of a huge piece of shit. Um, and you get the added benefit of seeing Ed, who is his adoptive son, and who in the same sense is like, yeah, he has psycho power, he doesn't really have strong ambitions for what to do with that other than to win fights. Because much like he is the product of being raised by Balrog, he is just kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> um... And well, I, I think that.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I was gonna oh, say
3: um, okay. that. No, I was just gonna say that. So to to the point of the question though, like to me, Blanca and E and E Honda will always just be joke characters. I do. I will never take them seriously. You know? I love
1: that, e, that Blanca became a businessman. <laughs>
3: I guess. And,
1: <laughs> like he um, has he has merchandised himself to the to the rafters. You can buy Blanca dolls.
3: Now I I don't want them to bring back. Rufus or El Fuego. God, Rufus. Fuck. And if they were to it's do so that, they, they would have to make them more serious and you know something we could take seriously. But um, but then the, what? The other guy, Hakam, the oil wrestler, is like oh, the I, oil I, wrestler. I I want him to come back, and he can be that just nightmare as, man, just as silly as ever. <laughs> I don't care. He <laughs> I want him back.
1: He can just start screaming "Time to oil up" over and over. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, re- real different tra- trajectories for the two new characters introduced in Super Street Fighter Four. You've got uh, Hakan, who has basically never been mentioned, and and you've got Juri, who can who is now one of the most popular characters in the series. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I, I think that uh, per per the question though, uh, I I think that. In both cases they reflect that uh, people who s- the, the developers that start with extremely archetypal uh, designs that are basically just meant as backdrops for whatever uh, they're, they're built to purpose. they're built to function as backdrops for whatever else they were intending to do over time we'll find that those backdrops are, not interesting enough to sustain themselves they need to have the option to expand on them and so with these things like sometimes that will involve becoming parodic sometimes that will involve uh becoming just weirder like just generally like uh you just add in things that make the setting more interesting uh that make the characters more interesting to you because it's like well if we gotta keep working with them we gotta keep finding ways to make them interesting uh and i think that that's to some extent like that's that's just the inevitable part of the creative process over time um like you start out with something broad and you end up focusing in on things, and then eventually, if you focused in too much, you run out of things to do with this that <coughs> uh, revolve around this extremely focused vision, uh, and you start uh, having to run into exaggeration if you aren't allowed to refocus on something on some other angle. Uh, but. Uh, in this case, I think that, like, to look at something like Street Fighter, we're actually looking at something becoming less broad and more, uh, more varied as time goes by. But in, in general, uh, to speak to the original point, uh, they, they have to, like, things need to change because you can't do the same thing over and over and not feel uh, creatively stifled, and the audience will respond to that. yeah um uh, yeah. uh, let's see oh uh highlight my message there are a bunch of new questions on discord oh okay yeah i saw okay those. I, I yeah
3: think, so i mean i think some of the ones i just saw on discord i think some of them are, are really outside of scope. um they're interesting questions but i'm not sure how many you're gonna want to actually answer to be honest with you
1: We'll probably get back to a han- like we'll probably get to a couple of them tonight and then some more next sure. week because I think wheels is fading. Um,
2: yeah, switch
0: to desk needs to not
1: fade. Yeah, nice. It's nice to want things. Um, but I'm gonna check some of the new Discord questions. Uh, actually, here's one. Like
3: maybe we could answer quick and then I could head off. Um, why didn't mm. Sunset Overdrive make a bigger splash?
1: Uh, the Xbox One was very, very, very unpopular.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: correct. Um, I think that there's um. some other stuff that prevented it from really picking up a second life. It is, uh, extremely, extremely like 2013. Uh, in a way that is difficult to shake. If you were like, it's like it did eventually come out on PC, and people people like it. It's like a it is a game that plays well. But, holy god, it is some of the worst writing I've ever seen <laughs> in the game. Yeah. There are, there are, you can't escape that, uh, how of the time the game is. Like, it fucking has multiple dog meme references. It's a game that, uh, has this winking smugness about it that fully eats Lives, breathes, and dies. Twenty fourteen energy, uh, <laughs> like right around the point in the trailer uh, for that game, the launch trailer. Was it the launch trailer or was it N three trailer? But it was it was a fucking trailer where like uh, I, I'm gonna pull up this exact verbiage because it it grates on my nerves to this day. Like this just like games were uh, very self-serious on the Xbox 360 and there was like a post uh, like post that era there was a very uh, there was a push to try to m- let games be uh, uh, to, for games to be uh, dumb but in a way that was like really self-conscious like it needs to be over the top, stupid. Yeah. Uh, well, the and... bullet,
3: bullet storm was like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, bullet storm has the same thing, uh, where it's just like it can't just be fun. It needs to be constantly screaming at you that you're having fun. Yeah. That this is silly and no one will ever take this seriously, and that's the point And it, and it's just like it it, it feels like self conscious in a way that like. Because it's like trying to harken back to old games that were stupid, but they were stupid in ways that like indicated that they were stupid because no one cared about what their plot was. They were just sort of, the, the plot existed to excuse things, but there's still so much plot. There's still so much writing in Sunset Overdrive. And so in its constant attempts to be silly, it's just like, God, shut up. Like Like, what, stop what? putting on the clown makeup. Stop honking the horn. Uh, yeah,
3: so I mean, so, I, so yeah, the reason it didn't make a bigger splash is because nobody bought the Xbox One, and but the the reason it made as big a splash as it did is <coughs> because it was in Games, and
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it yeah, and then in some ways it does play similarly to like Ratchet and Clank in terms of the feel and the physics and all that and the weapons, but yeah, it's
1: like it's, it's an enjoyable. Ratchet meets GTA meets Tony Hawk,
3: right? And it's like. As fun as the game is, I never beat it because I'm like this story is so
1: stupid. Like it's so um, it's there's so much writing and it's also wretched. The other thing I would say, uh, just to sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but one last no. thought that I just had: uh, there were a lot of games like this at the time. Yes. Uh, in terms of like an open world game where you had like. Uh, zippy traversal, and you were, you basically, like, you didn't literally have superpowers in Sunset Overdrive, at least I don't think that's how the game would define them, but you kind of, you were basically running around as, like, a gun superhero. Uh, and there were a lot of games like that at the time. Um, well, I,
3: I would say ReCore fell into the same kind of category. Like, a game that should have been good and maybe should have made a bigger splash, but again, nobody bought it, early, and it was... Early x game. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the thing, and just, yeah, an open-world, janky, third-person shooter type game, and yeah, there were just a lot of those games at the time. Mm-hmm. I,
1: f- I found the exact quote from this fucking trailer. <laughs> uh, it's not all bad. All this place needs is a hero, one who doesn't just survive, but does it with style. Who is this hero? Me. Not me? Oh, you! Can you survive that? The many dangers can you help others survive can you save sunset city can you for the love of god can you of course you can it's a fucking video game and Hello. all of that dra- all of that delivered with yuri Lowenthal in his smuggest possible cadence and it's just like jesus don't you do not need to play this at 10 like this this is it's 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 too self-conscious it needs to calm down <laughs> Yeah,
3: it, I just I remember reading um, it, it was probably a Game Informer article where they interviewed probably the lead, lead designer from Insomniac or something. But he just talks about how, you know, they worked on all those Ratchet and Clank games and stuff and Sony owned all of those games. So what they
2: mm-hmm.
3: they were just trying to find something they could do where like they wanted creative because Sony games, owned those
1: games, it. but didn't but like still wouldn't just buy Insomniac for another couple years so yeah. like they were always in this precarious position where if sony decided they didn't want more of those games they were just kind of hosed they had nothing of their own <laughs>
3: right well so insomniac they said they wanted something that was theirs that they could retain ownership of and when they pitched it to microsoft they were the ones who said oh yeah no you can do whatever you want and it's yours and fine you know
1: mm-hmm. and, we, we and, need we need more games
3: <laughs> and, and then so i guess when they did the uh pitch meeting with uh, one of the suits, um, they just went in in like, regular clothes and they brought in a boombox and it was playing like fuck the police or something like that and they didn't realize that the guy they're pitching to absolutely does not tolerate swearing or something. I just remember some kind of anecdote mm-hmm. like that, where they just immediately come in they're like, yo, fuck the police and he's like, excuse me? <laughs> Kick out the jams, motherfucker! Yeah. Remember, so... But I, I thought that they could have really uh, just refined it better in a sequel, maybe. Or, or maybe it's better that they didn't make a sequel. Who knows? Or maybe they could have refined
0: it, it by just making a Spider-Man game instead.
3: You know, that is basically what they did, and that yeah. seems to be working quite well even for them. They included
0: Yuri <laughs> <laughs> back, baby. It's
1: back. Uh, yeah, apparently, apparently like whatever contract was worked out around the game uh, still gave... Microsoft, some sort of distribution rights on sequels, but the game just never sold enough to make that make sense. Yeah. Uh,
3: and same reason we didn't get a Recore to probably. And,
1: uh, yeah, and like, they, they had a lot of interesting early Xbone software, but people just weren't buying Bones, so like there was well, no hope for those to ever become... Yeah. Uh,
3: well, I gotta like, tell you, I created some really cool levels in Project Spark, and you know. Oh, was, rip
1: that game.
3: Right, and that's when I was really interested in game design and, and I was working on my degree and it was just like, I fucking love this program and I thought that it provided maybe some kind of path towards it was actual cool release. Yeah. And, and so it was like, I came I was working on some really cool projects in there and then they killed it and it was like, oh man like, I guess I'll go back to Game Maker Studios
2: you know. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I'll go back to RPG
2: well,
1: Yeah. Yeah, you gotta work with something that someone doesn't have the have as much of a have the capacity to just murder in it whenever they feel like it.
2: Yeah.
1: Unfortunately.
2: So
3: that that was the thing I was interested in and um Yeah. So I wanna say Sunset Overdrive was the first Xbox One game I bought. Um although when I went to go buy the console, they did not have the white one that came with that game. All they had was the black one that mm-hmm. came with the bad Assassin's Creed games. And then I saw so I ended up having to pay the extra 60 bucks to get something overdrive right anyways. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> uh yeah. My first X-Bone game was uh, Dead Rising 3 because that was how I bought it, and that was a really good game. I didn't feel yeah. too bad about that. <laughs>
3: No, from, from what I played it, I ended up getting the PC version, and I played it a little bit, and mm-hmm. uh, no, it was kind of neat. So, I thought Xbox One had a lot of potential, was but what
2: what
3: what killed it was the fucking $500 price tag. Look, nobody wanted that stupid camera, okay? And, and then Sony jumps in and says, oh, well, ours is going to be $400 and more powerful. It's like, all right, well, good, good job, Microsoft. You screwed yourselves. All because of a stupid camera.
2: Reporter
1: in your ass because you played yourself. Um,
0: Didn't we know PS4 was a piece of shit?
1: Wow. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Uh, Sorry, no, sir. uh, Yeah. Well,
3: in the end, the 1X surpassed the PS4 Pro as far as I'm concerned. Yeah.
1: uh, Yeah. Uh, In in conclusion, I, I think I'm. I'm tired and Wales is probably also tired so And I'm
3: also there. tired and so I, I just yeah. really wanted to talk about that question because that is a game that I like despite its flaws, despite not finishing. And I really wish it had mm-hmm. gotten more um I don't know. I wish it had just been a better game, but I also wish it had gotten more recognition for what it was trying to do, I guess. I don't know. Aside from the mm. horrible fourth it would have been nice
1: if things worked out better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh so uh, give one last plug for where people can find you.
3: Oh sure. So I'm still streaming on twitchtv Gamer and most of my streams do get archived on YouTube. And plus, I still release some straight to YouTube content every once in a while as well. So, uh, and that's that's Smoke and Joe Gamer. And you can follow me on Mastodon. You can chat with me on Discord. Um. And yeah. So going forward, I'm doing TurboGraphics Tuesdays. So just turtle graphics oh, yeah. on Tuesdays, and I'd like to bring back Sega Saturdays. Although I was playing Sonic already this week, so I don't know what I'm going to play on Saturday. And um, for March, I think I want to do Mario March again and just play Mario games, and you know, do maybe try to do some uh, speed runs of Mario One and One, Two and Three. We'll see. Uh, hmm. So that's the plan going forward.
1: Give it a look. I'm also going to bring up uh, one those more question from the Discord. Those
3: princesses and those before...
1: pizza parlors, no? I was, I was going to answer one question from the Discord before I uh, uh, do okay. the rest of our plugs. Sure. Uh, because it's real quick. What is the game equivalent of a Mori or Jerry Springer episode? It is postal. Um, yeah. It is, uh, which is to say, something that exists only to shock and disgust you and make you... Uh, Make you feel slightly better about the whole affair uh, by virtue of the fact that that is not what your life is. Um,
3: That's how I felt about the newest uh, Battletoads game. I thought it was just a complete waste of time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but only for but for different reasons. That's uh, that is the uh, modern antecedent of a mix of new grounds in Ren and Stimpy. Um Yeah. But okay yeah, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. Uh, Gaijin was not able to appear this week. Uh, I don't know what his current schedule is, so it may be a while before we see him yet. Who knows? But uh, you can still uh, support your uh, local to the podcast author uh, by going to uh, Amazon and looking up Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu. Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. If you would like to uh, experience the drama of a uh, the the drama of uh, tabletop games but with more sympathetic uh, players than most of the actual play podcasts that run out there and with a better sense of drama to it uh, you can go ahead and check that out, uh, always appreciated uh, The it's, it's always uh, quite, quite cheap, you can get it in uh, Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, you can get paperback books if that's something you enjoy uh, but, you know, g- give that a look, uh, su- support indie authors the same way that you should support indie games and in just, in general, support, uh, support the little guy, but yeah. Uh, Michael Yarimitsu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Uh, As for this podcast, you can ask us questions. You can ask us questions in the Discord or in the chat if you can catch us when we stream, which is usually Thursdays at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, You can also uh, ask us. uh, We we also have our shenanigans show that we do uh, every Sunday, again at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, where we will play uh, whatever we have, whatever we're up to. Last week, uh, I just sort of vaguely watched uh, Wheels play Persona 3 Reload while complaining a lot. But who knows what the future may hold? Uh, we'll probably play some Street Fighter 6 again when uh, Ed drops, for example. Um, but. Uh, yeah, um, you can also ask us questions in the Discord if you don't have uh, access to the Discord yet. You can get it by going to uh, rpgamer.com and clicking on the community tab. Uh, it's a lovely community whether you want to ask us questions or not. Uh, dear friend Fireminer has asked us many questions that we will be getting to more, in more detail next week. Uh, always uh, happy to see those, but. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can also ask us questions in the comments section under this very episode on RPGamer.com. Please do not try to ask us questions in like iTunes reviews or whatever; we will not see them. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, that I think about wraps us up. So, see you, space cowboys. See you. See ya.